Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking a look through the keyhole of Netflix's haunted house series Lock and Key, investigating missing persons in Iraq with Channel 4's new mystery Baghdad Central, getting a long-awaited update on Sammy's asylum application in Series 2 of Home, and getting another peek inside number 9. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to the very best of small screen entertainment from overlooked gems to the critically acclaimed and even those few shows lofty enough to be elevated above their peers and bestowed with prestigious national awards like Mrs. Brown's Boys. <laughs> Joining me on this week's show are, yes, yes, Terry and Boyd, but that's hardly a novelty, is it? No, this week, in addition to the three of us, we are joined by a very special co-host. She is... A writer for both stage and screen, a producer, and Agatha Christie's representative here on Earth. <laughs> Not only has she written nigh on 100 episodes of EastEnders and adapted the likes of J.K. Rowling's The Casual Vacancy for our screens, but she has earned a name as the master of the murder mystery by bringing us such Christie classics as, and then there were none, Ordeal by Innocence and... The ABC Murders. And if that weren't enough, she was also the creative force behind Dublin Murders as well. It's only bloody Sarah Phelps. Hello. Hi. I'm also the pervert Sarah Phelps, as, <laughs> as coined by concerned men on Twitter. Well, I thought I'd let you, you add that particular <laughs> moniker. Oh, I'm, I'm sad. You have I embraced would... it, though. You have I, embraced no, it. You own it. Embrace everything. Um, um, Alan Sugar's tweet about uh, Dublin Murders, you know, it's too complicated. I'm out. <laughs> I saw that. And uh, my, friend, my friend Sarah Dollard embroidered it for my Christmas oh, present. Amazing. So I literally have it embroidered. I, I nearly wept with happiness. <laughs> Embrace it all. You've got to love it. Yeah. It's in your Twitter bio as well. I, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've just, I put my, my arms around it and I hug it to my overheated menopausal chest. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that about Dublin Murders actually because I remember we, obviously we review a lot of shows and regularly I do, I have a very long commute and I watch them on my iPad often while doing things on my phone and I remember starting that with, the, the, with Dublin Murders and just being like, this is not going to work and I had to put it I had to start again put it away and be like focus 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 I really I really mean, you oh, know I'm so pleased about that I was I was doing a thing the other, um, I was away in Galway this last week and somebody said you know you can't you couldn't look at your phone. I was like, well, good. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I don't That's how you should it. watch things. I don't, if mm. I wrote something where I thought, and, you know, don't worry about it, you can spend all your time on your phone and you'll still get a big hit out of it. I'd, no, yeah, I couldn't, awful, I couldn't do that. That's not what you go that for. That would depress me. But no, it's true. It's, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot going on in that show. Yeah. A lot going on. Yeah, bold my brain. Sometimes yeah. I think, why in the name of fuckery did I do it like this? Because at four o'clock in the morning, you're sort of, I've, I've eaten all the bread and the mini baby bells and there's only so much more. And I just think, my brain is rattling. Why did I do it like this? Why didn't I do just something <laughs> really, you know, there's a murder, they solve it, done. over and done with two episodes. Nice. No, I've just got a dick about with wolves and Christ knows what else. <laughs> Insane. And smash two big novels together. Yeah. Smash yeah. two big yeah. novels together via some madness <laughs> in a car with Ian Jory playing and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've got yeah. to do it, got to do it. It's what she would have wanted. I think, I yeah. think, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the only, it's the only way to do it. If you, and I, I did think while I was doing, while I was doing Dublin Murders, you know, because it was like you could do this book and then the next book and then you want to have a really good cast and there's no way you can ask a, an actress like Sarah Green to not be really, really present in the first series and it just made it more impactful from a narrative point of view, but it did, yeah. 
I did could feel my synapses fizzing oh, out. It, it was mind-bending. <laughs> but when I realised that it was kind of a mystery within a mystery contained within a mystery, a mystery yeah. it was like it was, we'd gone full Inception. Well, but that's what the that's what the books are like. They're really, really strong mm. um, kind of personal point of view voices with unreliable narrators, and they're, they're, you're, you're pulled into a world, and you've got no idea whether somebody is telling you the truth. And then yeah. doing that, trying to do that as a TV series without a voiceover, because I'm not keen on voiceovers. I slightly think they're the white flag. And, Spoon feeding, um, isn't it? Well, sometimes they work brilliantly and other times I just think, oh, come on, you know, it's like, and then I went over here and this person turned up. You're like, well, I can tell, don't, <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. yeah, It was just one of those things where it's, yes, it's a dead murder story, but it's also a taproot into something else, mm. which is how do you survive damage? How do you, how, the, the guillotine that falls between who you were then and who you are now, how do you kind of navigate that? that divide. And do you think period pieces are more, not easier necessarily, but more interesting in terms of being able to talk about those kind of issues than maybe contemporary? Um, in terms of, which, how do you mean? Dublin, Dublin Mode is only about set in 2006. So. But, but obviously you're doing 50 years, right? Of Oh, with Agatha yes, Christie. With, with Agatha, Agatha Christie. Christie. Um, I don't, it's a weird thing. Some, lots of people have sort of said that period pieces are kind of like, you know, safe. And it really, that really bothers me because it's not. They're really urgent. They're mm. us, yeah. but they just haven't got that Wi-Fi. And I think there's a really, um, what's the way of putting it, a slightly castrated way of looking at the past, which is rather twee and rather nice and everybody's clean and nobody ever asks about how you get your clothes so clean or where your money came from or who has lit the fire or who... You know, it's that sort of Mm. thing. It's not just people wearing beautiful lace gesticulating in a room because they've always gesticulated in a room. You have to think about how all this came to be here. And I... we do like to sanitise our past and our relationship to it and how we, you know, we, we are we are great because we are just inherently great. No, we're not, for crying out loud, pack it in. Hmm. And when you sort of unpeel the layers of that and the, the, you know, the, rose, the rosy way we look back on ourselves, people get really angry. People were mm. so angry about the ABC murders. It really, it was, it was surprising and not surprising. I mean, even had one person tweeting me saying... Well, you've, why are you making a Poirot a refugee? It's just like, oh, fucking hell, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, you, you've ruined my childhood. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ruined your childhood, sure. Okay, Jan. Um, but it, but it's, it's interesting how passionately involved people are with those adaptations or those mm. books because there's a, they're, they were in a particular state when they read them or perhaps this was a, you know, they remember that moment where it was just like, it's just me in this book and my version of the book is the mm. only version. And we all feel like that. I feel that way about books. But it's always interesting to me where people get really, really angry. And um, after I'd done uh, Great Expectations, I went and sat on some panel about, I don't know what I was doing on there, honestly, just looking a bit bug-eyed and confused by life. And there was a quite, a, it was in a bookshop and there's quite a big sort of group of people. And at the end there were questions and we went round and the final question was this woman who put her hand up and pointed at me and said, I got up at five o'clock this morning to get a train to come here to tell you that you ruined Dickens. Oh, I was like, oh, Christ. <laughs> OK, all right, OK, I ruined, I, OK. But on the bright side, there's coffee and biscuits just over there, so help yourself. But I think you have to take it with a pinch of salt and in a way that spirit of embracing it is mm. that there is a really deep passion and actually it's really important and it doesn't stop you from 
I don't know, getting amongst it and rattling things up a little bit, but you you have to expect that there is going to be some reaction, some kickback, because people are really passionately involved, either in the book or the conception of the novelist or the version of themselves they were when they read it. Mm. And I think that's the most potent and powerful thing. It's a version of themselves they were when they read that book and what it meant mm. to them at that time. And that's interesting in itself. But it's kind of brilliant that telly can do that. That telly can do that, that literature can yeah. do that, that language can do that, and that even uh, despite yourself getting pulled into something, you, you, they don't switch off. Mm. They don't go, this isn't for me, and switch off. They keep watching, enraged. <laughs> and that's interesting as well, which mm. is, I'm... It's like the fury is a kind of drug as much as anything else, you know, mm. the righteous sort of fury. So it does sort of take me aback where I just thought, you know, in essence, I'm a really boring human being and sometimes I go to Sainsbury's and that's basically what I do. And every year, sort of year, some, there's a kind of explosion on my timeline <laughs> where people think I'm some sort of Machiavellian <laughs> bastard who's been sent only to ruin their lives and in many ways that is true but in many ways it isn't how did the Agatha Christie in particular but the murder mystery thing become this thing that you're allowed to is it something you've always loved is no, it, no, you just in, fall into in it absolutely all honesty yeah, before I did and then there were none I had never ever read a Christie really? never read a Christie and I'd never watched a Christie on the TV or as a film not even Poirot no and, and I mean like you know you're aware of them and I can remember um you know, catching a glimpse on the TV of a Ustinov, and I think probably uh, Death on the Nile, yeah. where mm. it's the great and the great and the beautiful of Hollywood, like Dinah Rigg and Maggie yeah. Smith and Peter Ustinov. And I remember just one little clip, I think it was sort of like Dinah Rigg sort of entering a room in a beautiful turban and Maggie Smith saying, oh, darling, you must be exhausted, have a sausage. Or, <laughs> there, was just, there was something waspish and brilliant and bitchy about it. and um, But, you know, it was just there and it wasn't something that... I got involved with and you knew that Joan Hickson and various other people had been um, Marple and that the the, you know, the mouse trap had been running for, you know, a, a millennia yeah. in London. But it just wasn't something I'd, I'd ever been attracted to. And I think it was very much because it wasn't on the shelves when I was growing yeah, up. Yeah. Other things were going on the shelves. I read all of James Bond by the time I was about 10, which is probably accounts for a lot, but, <laughs> but not a Christie. And... I genuinely didn't think it was going to be something that appealed to me because I thought it was a little bit, here comes somebody it's on a bike and they're going to solve something and, you know, there's a dead body on the floor, but nobody really cares. And it's, it ju you know, it wasn't something that I went for. It was something that I swerved massively. And then Damien Timmer from Mammoth said, read and then there were none. I don't want to. I don't want to read and then there were none. Don't make, no, read it. Just fucking read it. And so under, you know, thinking that I was going to hate it, I read it and found that, it wasn't this safe, cosy, comforting, twee little thing at all. It was absolutely savage. And mm. it really, really took my you know, took my breath away. These Christies have turned into like a stealth social history of the twentieth century, haven't they? Yeah, they yeah, I Did you always have that in mind? Or I, did, I kinda uh, I kinda right. think I I didn't I think a stealth social history is, is brilliant. <laughs> and I'm actually gonna pretend that I thought of that. I'm gonna pretend that I thought of that. I but a stealth way, yeah, perhaps yeah. that you can not sneaking because I don't think that or maybe I am sneaking them in but it's just a really sort of sharp-eyed way of looking at how people behave and how people lie and how and and about our prejudices and our our beliefs about who's innocent and who's guilty and and I just made me feel really excited and also to think about the 
the um, the Britain of witness for the prosecution to the Britain of um, ordeal by innocence, which is, you know, now 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 we're going to be happy. Hmm. Now we're going to be happy. We we are the new Elizabethans. We have a new young queen. We have come out of the other side of two world wars. We have, we know what happened in those, you know, with the chimneys and the rail tracks and the forests. We know what happened in there. Now we have to be successful. A family has to be successful. A mother has to be perfect. Because if she's not perfect, what the fuck was that all for? Hmm. And it was also where thinking, like, what kills these people? Is it... It's not really the sort of, like, the bludgeon to the back of the head. It's the desire to be perfect or having to keep a lie, having to keep a lie secret. That's what ultimately kills you. And when you start looking at it like that, you um, just start to dismantle all those things like family and sexuality and money and class. And, um, yeah, it just got really exciting. So the new one, Pale Horse, yeah. is 1961, yeah. which is when the novel came. So what, what was it? What did you decide to hone in on 1961? What's happening? In 1961, you've got the Berlin Wall going up. We've had the Cuban Missile Crisis. We've, um, yeah, uh, Berlin is being divided. The Soviet Union is incredibly powerful. We've got all sorts of paranoia about the acceleration of uh, the sort of nuclear deterrence and sort of chemical deterrence and things like that. But also, because all of the pieces have a sort of internal rubric that talk to each other, um, it's also the trial of um, of Eichmann in Jerusalem, the televised trial of Eichmann. And it's when Hannah Arendt coins the phrase, you know, the banality of evil. And it felt that the story really, lended it, really lent itself to that time. And it always makes me think that, that actually she did cock an ear to what was going on outside so yeah that's that's present mm. that's just that sort of sense that there is what is evil we've been thinking about mm. this a lot like about the terrible things that people do to each other and the cruelties they um enact upon each other and the savages and walking away from the blood and here in a way that somebody is being brought to justice but what is the nature of... And, but what, I wanted to know what the nature of evil was. But this is an interesting one because it feels very different to other Agatha Christie's and that there's that sort of layer of supernatural element. And, and I remember it, there was... A, was it to do with when she wrote it? It was when Dennis Wheatley was very big. Dennis Wheatley was very big, but also yeah. it was really, really popular. And I was, um, you know, witchcraft and the dark arts and the occult and tarot readings mm. and palm readings and things like that. It's hugely popular. And I was sort of digging around in the sort of, like, the newspapers of the day as part of a just a sort of give me, you know, give an atmosphere. And there was a huge court case about a bunch of people who'd been found somewhere, I don't know, in Cobham, in the woods, sort of dancing naked. It's always sorry. It's always, it's always <laughs> sorry. Young people. <laughs> dancing, sort of, dancing around sort of like clad in sort of twitching goat pelts and drawing pentangles on each other. But there was a real fascination for it. And there was a brilliant photo, sort of like a modern... Um, I, I wish I'd brought it with me just so I could just name check the artist. But it was, um, it's one of the most disturbing photos from about the 1960s. People around a dinner table and they look really kind of elegant and loose and sophisticated. And they're all turned from the dinner table to look at the photographer and they're wearing these really primitive masks, like kind of just eyes gouged in clay. It's one of the most upsetting things. <laughs> and I, so that was a kind of cornerstone of the way I thought about 
pale horse, that and sort of plague doctors and yeah, yeah. I really think it's probably a good time that I uh, time that I took a break from Agatha Christie <laughs> before <laughs> before I end up in a cell. Oh, no. <laughs> what a way to go! Yeah. What a way Never to go give home. up on murder mysteries. Although yeah. to that point, I suppose you're all wondering why I've gathered you here today, <laughs> oh, and Christ. it is of course for news. No, I know. Although I say this, I was going to do a whole thing, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if just before news, like Boyd finds my mangled body, <laughs> and then you spend the rest of the podcast trying to work out who did it? Except I thought there's no point because it would be Terry. So uh, also, who would ever think that you do? a fucking massively contrived intro <laughs> which was purely for the benefit of kind of showing how smart you were <laughs> anyway before we get on to news we have a regular segment where we talk about what we've been watching so as our guest what have you been watching recently I've been watching Cheer I watched oh. all of Cheer and I absolutely loved it I became deeply deeply emotionally involved with Morgan and Jerry and, and with Lexi oh, oh Lexi God, Lexi, Lexi what has happened to I found her on Twitter did you so I couldn't rest after the final episode she's good she's Spoiler, if you haven't watched it, then shut your ears for a minute. She's back on the team. <gasps> Boom! <laughs> yes, and so Monica, and basically Monica, 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 what a woman. So I became really, really emotionally involved in that, spent way too much time watching that and ignoring phone calls from family and things like that. I just absolutely loved it, and I never thought I would possibly be sitting there chewing my fingers to the knuckles, worrying about the pyramid. I know. I can't believe they pulled frantic, it off. Oh, my God. They're amazing. They are amazing. So I watched all of that, and then I've watched all of um, Sex Education 2, oh, which I love. how good is that? And then I watched all of Next in Fashion, which was just kind of, I then became really, really emotionally involved with, um, you know, with the teams there. And, and I finished, finally late to the party, but finally finished watching all of uh, Giri Hadji, which I thought yeah, was breathtaking. Uh, yeah. I very, thought very was good. absolutely Incredible. breathtaking. Mm. And... Um, I mean, that that rooftop dance sequence I thought was extraordinary, but the sheer pleasure of watching actors that you, you don't know. Yeah. No, that Japanese cast, and they're just extraordinary. And um, the three women on the lamb with the baby, uh, just... So I thought that was phenomenal. I absolutely loved that. And Britain's Best Home Cook, which is also <gasps> great. Oh, yeah, we're loving Britain's we, Best Home Cook. Me and Boyd yeah. are obsessed. James does this face every time, which is <laughs> yeah. great for podcasts. But do you want to do your face? I, did you I see, don't know did what you're you, talking did about. Did you see the one? Last, last night. night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a little tear. Yeah, same. I had a because little tear. Interestingly, it's, initially I was thinking this is part of the whole movement, isn't it, at the moment, to not give a winner, right? To, you know, to kind of the, the Turner Prize, they shared it, didn't they? The Booker Prize, they shared it. I'm like, in the end, spoiler alert, they're, they're not getting rid of anyone. They're both made lovely lemon cakes or whatever they were yeah but then but so it was lovely it was so nice it was so genuine they were so happy <laughs> sometimes it's a really perfect thing to do there was one master chef where they couldn't decide right. because they were both so yeah. good and I think it was and fair the, yeah and I just I just thought it was lovely mm. we need a bit of lovely yeah. Last, yeah. the last series of Bake Off was so kind of like what's going oh, on I know, yeah. I know, yeah, whereas they, Kids Bake Off was marvellous oh, but yeah. I don't. I don't want to watch a baking show for people to be in tears and <laughs> no, want, wanting to die. I want to watch it where people are cuddling each other and go, "That's a beautiful yeah. custard." That's yeah. what I want. Yeah. Give it to me. Yeah. They're also they're also and they're also kind of they haven't been cast because they're extreme characters. Mm. They are lovely, down to earth, warm people. You are so missing out, honestly. <laughs> I know happen. warmth. I know warmth of humanity <laughs> is not really your thing, but um, it's not. It's not going to happen. You don't like this. You I, don't like people being. Fun, well, no. Unless it's in space. Exactly. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that because you have omitted one show that you have watched in the yeah, last Yeah, I did. But because of this show that I thought, okay, I'm going to go in on Picard. But that is because of Terry saying that it was Logan in space. 
Absolutely. And I'm into Logan in space, and I'm into a bit of, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart, for God's sake. He's yeah. amazing. Who's, He's what's amazing. not to love? What's not to love? Well, uh, wait for episode two. There's Romulan CSI in it. I have absolutely no idea what that means. Well. Look, at that face. Look at his smug little face <laughs> as he says that to you. I know, that's just words out of the word hat. It's, it's meaningless. You've, that's my whole got, thing on this podcast. I, I don't know what to tell you. I kn- it was, and it was also when you go off into a kind of... It's, it's the in-depth knowledge, and sometimes you go... My God, I, I think I'm genuinely quite scared. <laughs> I don't even know EastEnders as well, and I was kind of... I wrote it for years. But so, all right, so Romulan CSI. OK, yeah. look, for you, I'll try. <laughs> good, good. Episode two is now available, I'm just saying. No, you're... <laughs> <laughs> Right, Terry. I mean, we've heard about the custard, but is there anything else you've been watching? So I also watched Cheer, all of it on Sunday, um, in one go. And I was the same. I was like, I'm not going to give a fuck about cheerleaders. I don't understand what it is. I don't know why I should care. And then it probably took an episode and a half, and I was crying about one girl who lived in a trailer and got abandoned by her father. Christ almighty, you are never going to watch it in a million years. In a million years. But but I was massively invested in that. And then we should talk about Doctor Who. Not you, obviously. (laughs) But um, Boyd, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The, the, the last, so actually, though, without spoilers, it'll be the one before the one that's just gone out. Yeah, um, because we go on Monday, yes. and in fact, I've seen the next one as well, which is great. Yes, but the one that went out the Saturday before was a big game changer. It was a huge thing. Um, spoiler alert! I guess we we, should, we have to. Yeah, it's all over the internet, James. Yeah, it is all over the internet. So okay, okay. We are now imposing warning. a Doctor Who spoiler warning. If you check the description of the podcast, I will post the timestamp. Skip forward to the next bit. If you haven't seen Doctor Who and for some reason plan to. Oh, oh, that is, I mean, that is ridiculous. Anyway, there's a new doctor. We met a brand new doctor. I can tell you're excited as well. Well, I'm, Vinay Patel wrote it it, and he's a brilliant writer and I think, I think the world of him, um, I think we've met once in the real life, but I, th- I think he's a brilliant, brilliant writer and he, apparently he absolutely pulled this out of the bag. It sounded yeah. fantastic. And also, it made all the people who you want to be furious, yeah. furious. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, it's fit, and I'm yet to watch it. I do like to dip into the great big game-changing, game-changing who's but um, and I just felt incredibly proud of Doctor Who, and I felt incredibly proud of Vinay Patel mm. and Chris Chibnall. So he, they did a brilliant job. They wrote yes, there, they yeah. did. Um, it was it had everything. It was like well, before um, before this series started. We, we, I interviewed the whole gang for for pilot, and they they were kind of trying to explain how big it gets in this series when they obviously couldn't really spoil it at all. But then you saw this episode, and you're like well, that's what they're talking about. Yeah, because it had. Captain Jack came back. Yes, yeah, um, saw that. You know, which was <laughs> so like, yeah, I heard that bit, heard that bit. Yeah, you heard that bit. That was like John Barrowman just being John Barrowman in the most brilliant. I used to do. I used to do his radio mic when he was in. Oh when he was an Aussie in the Beast. That's brilliant. I, I bet he was a character. He was. <laughs> Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. He's genuinely brilliant. Yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So him back was one thing. You thought well, that's yeah. in, that's quite a big surprise, and then but to have to build up to the to introduce this character it was fascinating anyway. Um, played by Joe Martin, um, it was just fascinating to see what was happening with her anyway, and and, the, and her partner, and you couldn't work out what was going on. Then to for, to be steadily revealed as a as the Doctor um, with her own TARDIS, which looked beautiful. Oh by my the god! Way. Like a kind of I'm when they yeah. now. when they dug that fucking TARDIS out of the ground, yeah. I was. Astonishing, like. and obviously we should say she is a black woman. So yes. that's what you're referring to in terms of pissing people, the right people off. Exactly. So not we've now got the first female doctor. We've now got the second female doctor, who's also the first 
Doctor of Colour, and it just but she was just so brilliant and so interesting because she's a slightly harsher already yes. in this episode, a kind of slightly harsher. She's wielding a, a, a weapon quite kind of emphatically, which marks her out from the pacifist, essentially, tradition of the Doctor. She feels like the Doctor that we might need in a right. now. Yeah. Right, now. Well, I think that's the whole implication, yeah. yeah it's really, and we just don't know what she's... But Christian was already come interested because people are going, oh, it would be an alternative dimension, you know, another universe. But he's already said, no, it's not. He's said, yes. he's come out and said, she is the Doctor. That's yeah. what, and in the tr- titles, it said we're introducing Joe Martin as the Doctor, not just a Doctor, another Doctor. So how it plays out, I think, is going to be absolutely fascinating. And I'm just so excited to challenge. You know, I think to challenge fans and to challenge the 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 whole mythology of a show like that that's been going for decades and decades is so exciting, and to do it so well, and to keep, and to keep us kind of absolutely trying to work out what the hell's going on in a brilliant way. But you do feel that it's been done with so much passion and love as well, like absolutely in-depth knowledge of who it is and where it yeah, can go exactly. and but what it means mm. what it, it you know it's it's all very well sort of sonic screwdrivers and riding up the side of the shard and things <laughs> like that and i could never i could never get on with that the um yeah. and i just found it too glib and quick and let's point this at that and everything was solved at the very in mm. the last three seconds i just think the great big thorny gnarly questions are the most yeah, exciting exactly. ones yeah, like how exactly. do you li- how do you live that's yeah. what it really yeah, comes yeah, down yeah, to yeah, yeah. But picking up those threads of the most kind of dangerous, dark elements of the Doctor, if you remember with the Tenth Doctor and there were moments where David Tennant was caught between the Doctor he could become who was willing to go to war and willing to weaponise against other planets... Um, and the other path which he took and and that she reminded me of that when she was bearing the gun at one point mm. and you and she was like whatever we have to do for the good of the universe basically yeah. and it really reminded me and it the felt so the, the means, means and the means could be anything exactly how do you and if you've got all that if you've got that power at your fingertips how do you wield it yeah. i think it's going to be amazing Jodie Whittaker, I mean, she was brilliant from episode yeah. one, but now I think they're really writing to her strength, you know, which is like she absolutely, she conveys that kind of fear and terror whilst kind of, and, and having having a kind of underlying trauma going on. There's something yeah. going on that we don't know what it is yet, and that is just playing out so interestingly. And also, they're both, set, I mean, like, Chris Chibnall is incredibly skilled at doing that thing, which is you are ten episodes away from that event, and now here is where mm. it catches yeah, up. Right, yeah. he's, he's so skilled and brilliant that yeah. and we know that from Broadchurch that it's the tiny actions impact over mm. you know hours of drama and suddenly you go oh that thing yeah. and a terrible yeah. shiver goes up your neck I think Joe Martin and Jodie Whittaker actually having to face each other down is this is who I am now am I going to be this or yeah. is it just that mm. sort of sense of how do I use this power who am I going to be I think it's fundamental yeah. I think it's going to be wonderful it's and thrilling, I'm, yeah. like I just said I'm just really proud of those writers so is this new you know Schwarzenegger doctor person is she like you know I'm just picking this up as a guy is she replacing Jodie Whittaker how does this work is we she know. a new doctor we, 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 we don't no. know we don't know yet. oh I see, I yeah, see we right. don't know. that feels like something that you, would have been in the you news you normally don't see the new doctor until and, they regenerate yeah, yeah. and then they become the new doctor yeah. so this completely took everybody mm. by so surprise so it's two doctors 
Yeah, there's two doctors. It's and a doctor doctor that she could and be. Bo- yeah. Jodie said she's going. She's doing definitely doing a third se- season. So you know, we just don't know. And so that's like the, Buffy and Faith. Yeah, yes. that's the thrilling thing about how it. How can two? What? How can they both exist on the planet at the right. same time? Well, because Buffy died, obviously, well, and yeah, then came and back, back but, to life. Know. But that's a whole other <laughs> interesting. So then the, the next episode, which would have just gone out on Saturday, that I watched, which they kind of pause, so they pause that, and then there's a, there's a standalone adventure. But that is going to really piss off the people who need to be pissed off as well, brilliantly. And I'm not going to say how because this this will sort of go out too soon after that one. But I love that one as well in a completely different way. Um, that stars Matthew McNulty, Warren Brown's in it, and some great people are in it, and it's a whole spectacular thing going across like five different locations across four continents. It, it's just becoming so spectacular. And as you say, really, you really using Chris because Chris co-wrote this one as well. That thing he has of being able to establish character within about five minutes and and bringing back ideas that he planted mm. in the very first episode that he wrote. Exciting. Exciting. Wow. Yeah. That was a lot of Doctor Who. Boyd, I would ask you what <laughs> yeah, you've been I watching. Even, I haven't even gotten on. That one, well, I don't even have got time. That was Terry's. Yeah. Sorry, I need to go over Terry's what have I been watching. I've been watching, I've finished Harlan Coma's The Stranger, which we couldn't review last week yeah. because of yeah. annoying... Um, uh, What's it called? Embargo. 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 That's it. So I finished it, and it's and it's just classic textbook Harlan Coben. Daniel Brockhurst writes it with him, yeah. and does a brilliant job. It's kind of like it's almost like the opposite way of approaching um, a, a mystery that, that you take. It's like absolute, like just honing in on the plot and and just giving you as much plot, 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 plot and, and then completely pulling the rug from under you constantly all the way through. And it's just sheer joyous, compelling, addictive stuff it's so entertaining and it's kind of it's lit visually almost like lighter you know it kind of, everything's kind of it's quite brightly lit all the way through apart from the stuff there's weird stuff going on in the forest which actually is a bit similar to, to Dublin murder stuff oh to God. say kids messing around <laughs> yeah there's a beheading of an alpaca that happens in the forest Jesus we, I know. Yeah. Well, so there's that's there's a whole kind of side storyline I know but even that is dealt with in a, in a it's quasi it's pretty deranged it is pretty deranged I started watching it this right. week it's fucking yeah. nuts there's a lot it's it is nuts thing. it's yeah. my next Thing. Yeah. but I just love the way that the way Harlan Coben tells his stories, and I love the way he complete. I can never see ever I solve what his mysteries, and I, it's 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 fantastic. Okay, so you sold me. Okay, <laughs> and Jennifer Saunders, best use of Jennifer oh. Saunders in, in a non-comedic memory. role, in a totally non-comedic, mm. and genuinely her first absolutely non-comedic role, and what they do to her is extraordinary. <gasps> Very exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how I can follow any of this, so I feel I'll be judged as well if I just I've just been watching Battlestar Galactica again. But I will you say, can't say that every week. I mean, I'm doing a rewatch; it's just truth. But no, what I will say this week is something that made me incredibly sad. Is that I have been rewatching The West Wing, which is not news for me, but along with the podcast of West Wing Weekly, and they did the final episode this week, and it just it feels like the end of something. Like it made me really sad. And they did a live event, and they had so many members. Like Sorkin was there, Martin Sheen was there. Like must have been 20, 25 members of the cast and crew were on stage for this thing. And it was it was a proper like you know tearjerker. It was really emotional. Hang on, hang on. This is a cover because you haven't watched anything else. <laughs> but this, I, no, I have watched The West Wing. I have watched Battlestar Galactica, and I have watched the approximately seventeen shows we have yeah. to review today. And I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but no, that no, this 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 was a big television event for me because I watched the episodes as I listened to this podcast, and it feels like I've got to the end of it, and I'm bereft. Okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Great. I like it when you try and have an emotion, yeah. and yeah. we can't engage with you on it. Yes. Indeed. I'm going to skip the listener question on account of otherwise Sarah will probably growl and die in this podcast. So, what is it? The listener question. Would you oh, like I think to you hear it? Do the listener question. All right. Fine. Fine. <laughs> Let's do it. I think Sarah will enjoy it thinking about the listener. Question. Okay. Well, Cathal asks. 
with Sir Patrick Stewart reprising his role as Jean-Luc Picard, what are some other actors you would like to see revisit their old roles? And Terry doesn't get to say this because she continues, for me, it's Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, right, OK. Don't look at me first. No, no, no. OK, fine, Boyd. Um, it's uh, Lisa Kudrow as Valerie Cherry. <gasps> Yes, 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 a comeback. My God, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was so great. And um, you know how long it is since season two? It's it's five, six years since season two. And it doesn't feel like that long ago, does it? Oh, God, that was um, so good. Oh, Mickey. Mickey Mickey, the Exactly. The comeback, in case you haven't seen it, it was um, Lisa Kudrow created it with Michael Patrick King, who created Sex and the City. And it was a very scathing, brilliantly brutal look at the world of showbiz. She plays an actress who's in a successful sitcom. And she kind of used her own persona in a brilliant way and it was even more kind of twisted in, in the second series which was took the form of a kind of faux documentary they're making about her life as she mm. tries another comeback it's just it's just skewers that whole world in a, in a, and she was a just funny brilliant realistic it's exquisitely yeah. painful and it, brilliantly and painful yeah. it, but at the end I cried yeah, hot yeah, tears right. of love yes Absolutely, yeah. So I think it's time we brought her, brought that back to come back, and it's all on Sky Comedy, by the way. Like we're talking about, how incredible Sky Comedy is. Yeah. If you've got it, if you've got Sky, Now TV, or there's just all this incredible stuff, all these classic, classic shows. I went back and I, I just waded right back into sort of like the doll on Curb Your Enthusiasm yes, and saying, oh, yeah. the doll, yeah. and, the doll, and the group, and things like that. Yes, and you are so wrong about Curb, James. I'm yeah. sorry, you are yeah. so so wrong. <laughs> the theme of today's podcast: oh, things I'm wrong about. God. Kind of Happy New Year, Mocha Joe. <laughs> 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 mark my words and mark them well. Yes. Absolutely wonderful. Fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. I got a lukewarm coffee the other day and I nearly put my nose in it as well. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do, I was, I was looking at it after watching a couple, uh, watching um, the first episode of the yeah. new series. I went back and had a little scoot around in the early in the early series, just thinking, look at Richard Lewis, that that oh, silver God, mane, yes. that silver mane. Like, yeah. I had a pang of just um, I know what you mean, yeah. sadness, and then like Jeff has lost so much weight. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. And, Susie, and he looks more like Harvey Weinstein oh, now. So, yeah. God, that was funny. God, that was funny. <laughs> The MAGA hat, though. Yeah. Lord above. Lord yeah. above. Very yeah. good. Um, yeah. Can you, what, can you think of a show you do, you have, do you like to bring back then? Do you know, off the top of my head, I probably can't. It's The, the, it's the, the really mischievous part of me wants to say Ian McShane as Lovejoy. But an Ian McShane and a Lovejoy that has kind of watched out, you know, watched Deadwood. Yes. And, <laughs> and, is, and is not in the mood to take any shit yeah, in the antiques bring, business. Bring, yeah. I kind of... <laughs> I kind of the idea of Al Swearingen sort of like taking over antiques uh, tickles me, but that's me being really, really factuous. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's brilliant. Uh, that's I mean, we specialise in that here, so no, <laughs> it's all good. Mm. It's all good. I'd be too on the nose because everything with me always comes back to the West Wing. Do you watch West Wing? Were you a big West Wing fan? I, I watched bits of the West Wing, but it, when it, it coincided at a time where I was I was working in I was working in a theatre, so I would never people would say like, "Oh my god, I love the West Wing." It's like I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> because I'm about to hand you know third. Roman soldier from the left some plastic armour <laughs> and um, so I mean I am aware of the West Wing because people say like this oh, it's so brilliant look at the look at the dialogue you know they're walking and talking really fast yeah, they, do. they do that a lot and I and sometimes you think oh, why does this matter yeah. why are people so in love with it I think that that's and that was one of the interesting things that when people 
fell really in love with it. Oh, I know. What about Daniela Nardini as Anna? Oh, yeah. Yes. She was yes. a great... She, she was phenomenal. I yeah. think she should have been... Yeah, I'd like to know what she is up to now. That's interesting. She's a yeah. great actress. Why don't, don't she... It's interesting. They did a... They did a this, you know, they're showing all of this life, by the way, from tonight, Monday, on BBC4. I know. Like three eps a night, which is a treat. Um, but I went to a, to a kind of anniversary screening of it at the BFI in London, and... Um, and someone asked about her, and they said that she she didn't want to do that much. She was kind of quite. She did she's done bits and pieces. She did a show called fairly recently, I think, a couple of years ago. But she was very like I didn't. She didn't just didn't want to do loads and loads of stuff and become a huge star. It seemed to be her decision. That seemed that's what. I, interesting. Just, I just she was so good. She yeah. was she was the character she that was, you watched because yeah. she. You she's know. just a. I don't know how I'd feel about watching it all over again. It's like you know when you go somewhere yeah. where you used to live and you think I'm going to meet the ghost of my teenage self <laughs> and it's quite worrying yeah I know what you mean yeah it's yeah. a danger isn't it? it like it's rarely works when you revisit these characters because I feel like especially if you have a perfect thing that you love so much be it Buffy or the West Wing or whatever else is that there's a there's a chance that you end up in true Star Wars prequel fashion, like sullying the memory of what you once loved. Yeah. And like, so I'd like to see Michael Chitlis come back as Vic Mackey in The Shield, but that oh, God, series finale is one of the greatest episodes of television ever made. And so you can never go back, never go back, because you can only make it worse. I always think that, do you remember when they, when they first had this life and everybody of sort of like a certain age would be like, well, I can't tell what's happening. I feel sick because of the camera work. Yeah. And if you watch it again, you think, I'm going to be that bitch that's moaning now because I'm old, I'm so old now. What was the name of the guy who played Spike in Buffy? James Masters. Oh, bring yes. him back. Bring him yes. back. I want to know what's up. What's what's what gives with Spike now that Spike? You is... know he narrates a lot of audio books. Oh Christ! He does. <laughs> I, don't know. I think you'll find. <laughs> he does. He does. He does a lot of the but, um. Jim Spike. Books. You see, I rewatched. I was rewatching Buffy the other day, and like, I my big problem with Spike is the attempted rape of Buffy. You remember on the bathroom floor? Oh God! Yeah, yeah. It's quite, he's cancelled. It's, it's Spike really is cancelled. Spike is cancelled. Spike is mm. well, fully cancelled. Maybe that can be the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's the show. That Spike, show. Spike yeah. and Valerie Cherish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Wait, we, we came up with something. Yeah. Wow. We Magic. We came up. Yeah, we, we did really it. Did. Should we skip on to news before you know yes. we all yeah. die? Um, <laughs> Should we um, start with the NTAs? The NTAs. The NTAs. So Boyd. You you were there at the NTA, yeah. weren't you? There's a you know what people get easily confused about the NTA. I think people what the basic fact about the NTA is they're the only award show practically in existence that is entirely voted for by the public. So people look at it and they go, well, why aren't what it, the shows that critics favour that mm. normally get given awards because you've got awards and you've got ratings, right? In fact, someone uh, the head of a TV channel who shall not be named once said to me, as far as they were concerned, there was two ways of measuring success: awards and ratings. Mm. And if, if if a show got no one watching it but won loads of awards, they'd be thrilled and they'd recommission it. And if a show only got ratings, that either one or the other. It was a surefire recommission. So then you've got the NTAs, which are an awards show, but entirely voted for. So it's kind of like, well, obviously the most popular shows, i.e. the one that everyone got excited about, Mrs. Brown's Boys, and I did tweet about it, um, beat, you know, Fleabag and Sex Education and all these kind of beautifully made, hugely critically acclaimed Ricky Gervais' Afterlife. And yet, you know, Mrs. Brown's Boys, this very broad studio sitcom, which has a massive audience, a massive group of fans, one, and people are like outraged. Well, but that's the intrinsic nature of the beast of the NTAs. It is always going to be those big, whatever you think of them, popular shows. So it's like, 
what are you actually complaining about in a way? You still tweeted about it oh, and no. did the eyes. <laughs> I did. You did the I eyes. I did the eyes, but I did the eyes. I didn't go, this is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it was implied. <laughs> it was, it was implied. implied. Come on, boys. Come on, look at this. Vehicle reversing. All right, I'll tell you this, though. <laughs> he wants some social traction, but he doesn't want I did want a lot of social traction. <laughs> but people were then piling and going, oh, you know, it's snobbish to um, criticise Mrs. Bowser. My, my thing is, I love... You know, a lot of studio sitcoms fairly... I like broad comedies as well, as you know. You yes, know, I, I like do. Comedies. But I don't particularly... I'm not a fan of Mrs. Brown's Boys, but I do love, I don't know, Miranda or whatever, which was a huge show in its time, you know, and, and, and a studio, traditional studio sitcom. So I don't think... I think there's a confusion about being snobbish about that form of show, that genre of show, and big, huge, popular shows, and specifically Mrs. Brown's Boys that I am not a fan of, and a lot of people aren't a fan of for various reasons. So, yeah. But wasn't it people saying... Because I saw Lisa Holdsworth... Um, the writer tweeting about this and she said something really interesting I am not a fan of Mrs Brown Boys but she, I can't even fucking say it Mrs Brown <laughs> did you watch the movie whatever. but did I fuck but that's, <laughs> that isn't the point the point is and she said it's snobby because everybody on Twitter was like this country can't be trusted this is why yes, democracy, democracy is dead yeah, really um, away, and, that, and that most people were stupid for voting for it right yeah, yeah. which I think and I, I think I her point that. and I think her point was are you really going to tell this volume of people that mm. their opinion isn't valid because you believe it's not of a quality and actually what does quality really mean and all of those conversations about yeah. TV but I'll tell you the really interesting thing is is that well for me the really interesting thing is is that um, Chernobyl won Mm. And Chernobyl was, was on Sky Atlantic. Yeah, that's very true. And and you know, it's not by no means a kind of seemingly mainstream, you know, popular success. You know, only compared to other shows that it was up against. And yeah, it did win. So you know, the the the, the narrative, to use that tedious word, um, isn't necessarily as, as simple and straightforward as you might think about the case. But I think people just generally find it confusing that show. You know, in the year of Derry Girls. Fleabag, etc., Afterlife, and Sex Education, that Mrs. Brown's Boys wins. And that's what people are just like, oh, I can't understand that. Who are people? people in, our, in our bubble on yeah. Twitter. Oh, Twitter, of course, is a massive bubble, yeah. Yeah, sure. Sarah, what do you think? <laughs> I can really see why it won. Because the whole thing is, is that there, there's a huge group of people out there to whom Mrs. Brown's Boys is funny, familiar, warm. Yeah. It's a really traditional form of humour. Bloke dresses up as a woman. It's... A great big chaotic family. Everything generally, it's. But the jokes are predictable. Right. I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know when one is coming. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a pleasure to it. There's a warm yeah. little sense of pleasure to it. Everything is frightening. Everything is uncertain. Do I want to watch a comedy about a teenage boy wanking in a car and his mother sees it? That makes me feel really, really fucking anxious. Yeah. Do I want to watch a comedy about a young woman having a nervous breakdown? Well, what is going to make me feel safe? Yeah. What yeah. is going to make me feel secure? What can I watch if my husband, possibly my mum who lives with us or whatever? And what can we all get something out of? And here, where you kind of go, voting means nothing vote me what, what, I do think there's something about I love it and I'm going to vote for mm, it yeah. because it makes us feel half an hour yeah. half an hour a week I feel safe I feel like somebody sees me wants to tell me a joke wants to make me laugh wants to make me giggle wants to make me think oh that joke again I love it it never stops making mm. there is a really sense of I don't know being held Yeah, yeah. you're here again we're the family you're in our house Look at the state of it. Look at the state of him. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? My tights fell down. There's nothing wrong with that, and I just feel that we're terrified and anxious all the time. Yeah. Here is something that is really safe and familiar, where it's taproot goats deep, deep down into burlesque and pantomime and music hall and everything else like that, where there's a sort of generational feel to it. I can really understand mm. why it won. Yeah. And for people to go, 
oh, what the hell, why did it win? Everybody is stupid. Oh, shut up for Christ's sake. This really extraordinary drama one, Chernobyl, that punch through. Mm, yeah. Mrs. Brown's boys, punch through. Yeah. That's the end. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's different types of escapism and how they work because one of the things I love about all the shit that I watch whether it be The Witcher or The Expanse or anything is it's got, it takes me to this place where I no longer have to deal with you know all the shit on Twitter the politics the hell the fact that the world is on fire things like that and I do feel safe and kind of held by these shows for the time I'm watching it yeah. and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy and that's one of the reasons I love it so much Well it's and also it's your, it's it's your place it, there was mm. always a, a kind of thing where when I was I uh, started writing on EastEnders, which was, um, at the time I started, people, you know, like, there were a lot of people, uh, so like, what are you doing that for? It's soap. And I've always loved soap. I love it with an absolute passion, which is that if somebody comes in and they're exhausted and the, the TV is on because the TV is always on and there's things to do, there's things to worry about. You've got to cook. You've got to sort that out. There's just shit everywhere and you've got to get it sorted out and your day at work has been bullshit and this is bullshit and they're a bitch and fuck <laughs> this and fuck that. But the TV's on. Here comes the theme tune. And my job is for someone in the midst of that to turn and go, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. What did they just say? And then for half an hour to give them a story. Don't worry about that. For half an hour, there's this. And I think that's what Mrs. Brown's boys kind of does it's what Derry Girls does it's what mm. Mickey Gervais does in Afterlife it's what Fleabag does but does it slightly differently for a different audience and I just think it's that sense of maybe I don't know feeling a little bit powerless feeling like the world is moving too fast here is something that feels traditional and old fashioned by which I don't mean to say that it's Brexity it's Irish for a start it's a great big Irish mm. family of multi-generations and you know like lots of children making well out of their lives or not making well out of their lives a messy pub messy friends so it doesn't feel like that's what it's sort of um, selling but what it's just selling is a feeling of being for half an hour, you're safe. I'm gonna. Mm. We're, we're, we're going to tell you some jokes just for half an hour. You probably heard these jokes before, but it doesn't matter because we're all a family and we're all going to laugh at them. Mm. And then there's going to be, and then you can have a cup of tea and feel better. I think it honestly is mm. that simple. I and think that's true. and, and I think and it, and it make actually it breaks my heart a little bit that we're so riddled with anxiety. But here is something mm. where just for this amount of time, I know who's going to come through that door. It's a pleasure of going. Mm. Oh. I'm held, I'm safe. So. I think you're absolutely right, and Boyd, I'm disgusted at your elitist, <laughs> roly-eyed tweet for shame. What was it you said on Twitter, James? <laughs> I might have quoted the Book of Revelation, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway. I feel, but also, how awful to have worked really hard on a show and then other people going like, but they're wankers, why did they win? Uh, it's just like, it's just yeah, think, oh, come think on, calm down, everybody, oh, you yeah, know what? Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, the... Uh, NTA's covered yeah, off. Definitely. Um, did anyone see the test footage that leaked? The Star Wars Underworld test footage? No? <laughs> no. I love the way you're suddenly laughing and saying, What are you talking I, about? I genuinely Star don't Wars Star Underworld. <laughs> no? What I'm a really here. kind of obscure website. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> hang on. I will what not be like marginalised as underworld. How my fringe when I'm talking about Star Wars. But you're not talking right, about Star fine. Wars. Star right, Wars. Allow me to Star Wars explain to you briefly. Oh, so Christ. okay. So Lord so above. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a show in development. George Lucas had a show in development called Star Wars Underworld, and the idea was it was going to look at the underworld of Coruscant, the Imperial planet from Star Wars. And uh, and it was in development, but Disney, when they took over Lucasfilm, they can it because it wasn't what they wanted to focus oh. on. So, in, But apparently he had 100 scripts in the bag for this. Test footage was shot. They planned it all out. He'd rather ambitiously said there might be 400 episodes. Okay, George. Um, 
But so Disney. <laughs> you're reminded of Harrison Ford. You can type this shit, but you can't yeah. fucking say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so Disney killed that along with many other things when they took over because they had a very clear view of what they wanted Star Wars to be. But obviously they're reevaluating that somewhat at the moment. So Kathy Kennedy wants to, this has leaked, and Kathy Kennedy has said, you know, we're not ruling anything out. We've been looking at this. We're interested by it. And the test footage is about ten minutes of test footage out there, and it's it's some slightly shoddy stormtroopers going into like a pawn shop and shooting the, up the place but it's very Blade Runner-y and it gives a sense of place and a sense of texture to it and it makes you think this would have been a really interesting show but not for Disney Disney well, do, well Disney have that thing which is we we the, the world of Disney is a world where there isn't such a thing as divorce and you kind of wonder <laughs> how stormtroopers shooting up a pawn shop which I, I genuinely want to see this now it's going to fit into the sort of the, the, the Disney ethos. Uh, what was the other show that got cancelled after so people had spent a fortune? Yeah, on that's it? yeah. Uh, that was. Oh, was that the films? Kathy Kennedy did cancel something. Didn't cancel something recently, didn't she? In the, in oh, they the killed, well, when they first went, they, they wrapped up Clone Wars because they wanted oh, to. Clone although Wars that's now it. coming back as well, uh, because they wanted to wrap up that prequel. They were moving away from the prequel verse, and they wanted to keep it very much rooted in the original films. Uh, was where they moved. Oh, off, hang so. on, it's the Obi- oh no, it's the Obi Wan. That's on hiatus. That's on hiatus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hiatus forever. Yeah. Ewan McGregor says it's all fine. He's like, honestly, honestly, that's the one. Absolutely fine. It's not a dead parrot. Am I the um, only one who's thinking about how hard it must be to wank as a stormtrooper? Yeah, no. Yes. No, you're not the you're only not, one. Really, no. You're yeah. not. It's, it's a fundamental a, it's issue. Yeah. I mean, thing that comes, yeah. they presumably take the armour off, is all I'm saying. Well, yeah, but, what, but you have to what, take what, it all off yeah. and then wank and then what, wipe and yourself down and put it back on. They don't wank on the job. They've got, how do you know? Everybody else does. They're busy. They've got things <laughs> oh, going on. Give me a break. I don't think they are that busy. What? When they're busy slaughtering Jawas and stuff, one of them just says, hang on, give me five minutes. I'll be back and just going to nip behind the sand crawler for a quick one. I don't think this is something that happens. Certainly not in George's Cup. Okay. Definitely not in George's Cup. Anyway, so that was a thing that happened. Perhaps it should. Perhaps it should. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Queen Latifah... It would have improved the rise of Skywalker. This is anyway. much more exciting. Queen Latifah is the equaliser. Yes, I know. Holy... Right. Oh, exactly. my God. Right? So, oh, the equaliser, yeah. yeah, as in the Denzel Washington films and the Edward Woodward yeah. Edward series, Woodward. which I remember from the yeah. 80s. Yeah, so do I love yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> a Ford um, Bernardo. Yeah. Um, she is exec producing a new reboot, and she is going to be a new equaliser I mean fantastic I have, we've talked about this before I know but I think it hasn't been confirmed yeah I think, I think it's just been um, yeah, the pilot's been, been picked up right. right yeah it's been officially announced as a mm. thing that's so going to be one of those segments we do where we talk about something at great length for six minutes <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then somebody gets no, in touch well to tell that us we have mentioned this. it before but this, but this was actually properly confirmed so it's exciting yeah I was going to go back to Star Wars and say no, you can get know. a, you can get a. Do you know who Baby Yoda is? Have you seen Baby Yoda? You must. I mean, oh, you've been on Twitter. Of course, you know who Baby Yoda it's is. It's a meme. Yeah. Even I know that, but it's just I'm just starting to find it quite. I know this isn't good for a Confused. podcast. This oh, is a slideshow collectible, life-size, realistic Baby Yoda that you can now purchase. Do you know what? On some website, that's going to be some sort of sex toy. No. They'll be able to do oh, something. No. Oh. Come. On. This is you what the stormtroopers are doing. You no know what it's going to be. No one needs like a baby Yoda fleshlight. That's just oh. that's a whole world of wrong. The baby, Yo- baby Yoda double intruder. Oh, you know it's God. going to happen. <laughs> double intruder. <laughs> there is, you, there is, <laughs> is and this is absolutely true because we talked about it in the Empire I'll podcast. Storm your trooper. <laughs> There's a line of Avengers themed dildos you can get. Avengers. Avengers what do you mean themed. The new Avengers. Like, no, 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 not like God. Can you imagine? Yeah, like, you know, yeah. yeah, like um. What's his name? 
Um, Gambit. Yeah, Gambit. Gareth. Gareth. He did the Nescafe yeah, adverts. Steed, Gareth, and Joanna Lumley. Yeah, yeah, that's what we want. Steed, Gambit, yeah. and Purdy. Yeah. Patrick McGee. Patrick McGee. Patrick McGee. I always get them confused. <laughs> Anyway, getting, it doesn't yeah, matter. No, doesn't matter. All we need to know yeah. is that there was always brown sheets and gambits, yeah. bachelor pads. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, moving something on. <laughs> brown fitted right. leather sheets. We've defiled baby Yoda. Like what? This next? is the Star um, Wars content yeah, I'm here for. These were the proper Avengers, anyway. Yeah, clearly, um, Robert Langdon. Have you seen this? The Robert Langdon oh, yeah. thing. So Robert Langdon drama has been picked up by NBC. This is the Da Vinci Code hero. Tom Hanks made him, you oh, know, God. screenworthy. But oh, this is Dan Brown. Dan Brown the series. <laughs> So it's yes, what the world has been crying reaction. out for. What we really what's want it, is weekly name? Dan Brown. Robert Langdon. That's He's not... the academic adventurer. Academic <laughs> adventurer. Indiana Jones with a PhD. Well, Indiana Jones Two does words have a PhD. that shouldn't so. go together. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. That it's... last film in the, in the film series, what was it called? That The most recent Oh, uh, it's Inferno. It's one of the Absolutely worst really? films. Really? It's, it's uh, quite oh, amusingly it's... bad. Yeah. So it's basically, this is, is this a Da Vinci Code yeah. Inferno? It was the third in, entry. The third, in, yeah. yeah. So there's Angels and Demons. <laughs> yeah. This was the third. Da Vinci Code, the lost yeah. symbol, which is what this yeah. series I think is going yeah. to jump is into. Is it so bad that I really need to see it? Right? I think or, so. Yeah, I mean, you'll know from the very first image from memory is, I only saw it once when it was screened, is like a weird dream, fever dream. Yeah, I mean, then it goes goes up from there, yeah. So okay, it's worth I'm, checking out. Yeah. Uh, do I have hours left in my life for this? <laughs> I mean, I'll leave that up to you, but yeah. Okay. I mean, I'd skip it, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, maybe I'll just watch the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, the first, you know, the fever dream. I'll yeah, watch yeah, that. Yeah, watch that, yeah. yeah. It, is, it is incredible. Any other news that does or doesn't involve, you know, sex toys? Nothing that exciting. Nothing? No? Okay, fine. I'll spare you the Moon Knight news <laughs> for your own benefit. And we'll move on. Now, before we get on to the review section, we have a section, uh, the Banshee segment, as we call it, where we take a, a kind of an old show that people may or may not have heard of and kind of recommend it for them. We can go ahead. If you wish to do one, go nuts. If you don't have one that springs to mind, that's absolutely fine too. Terry refuses to do it on general principle. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, so the, the thing about the segments on our podcast is they were all, um, uh, James created them all and they all in some way referenced something about James, right? <laughs> yes, I've, yes. I've kind of caught on to this. Basically, all of it is basically Star Wars related. All the expanse, you're forced to watch it. Banshee? Where did, how did Banshee come about, James? I, I thought it would be useful to pull out a piece of retro content and I thought it was excellent, you know, recommend. Because I like the show Banshee. There we go. Yeah. Well, it was the first one we did. So the first show that I mentioned was Banshee. That's so that's the guy right, who goes to thing. the town and he ends up being the sheriff that's even right. though he's yes. a criminal. Yes, yeah. yes, right. with Anthony okay. Star. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. See, Sarah likes Banshee. Well, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a bit of it. <laughs> I want to do a Banshee, actually. Go on, then. Oz. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's do you remember good. Oz? Yeah. It was all about the. Yeah. the it was all about yeah. the um, the prison. There was Incredible. never Genius. anything quite so violent and brilliant. Mm. And you had to stay up till four o'clock in the morning yes. to watch it yep. on Channel Four. Yeah, and it was just there. Were, sometimes it went really, really, you know off paced and had to be brought back into line but in the main I just thought it was a phenomenal show yeah, incredible phenomenal the, I, Sky I, Atlantic showing it at the moment oh God, at the this, moment. Was, yeah, yeah, this yeah. was pre-Sopranos HBO wasn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. it was this absolutely yeah. huge show yeah. neo-nazis the, the gangs of the different the, the, factions the, 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 gangs yeah. of, the gangs of Emerald City and, yeah. and, and trying to basically keep 
keep the peace, keep everything focused. Yeah. He struggles for power amongst these men in this sort of like this prison compound. Yeah. And it's like this kind of panopticon setup. It was really good. Loads of good people in that. Loads of good I remember people. There's a, I remember it sticks in my mind the scene there's J.K. Simmons tattooing a swastika on an accountant's oh, ass with a big yeah. biro. And I'm like, yeah. you don't see this every day. You don't see this every day. There was, there was, uh, J.K. Simmons was absolutely brilliant in it. Um, yeah, there was some yeah, brilliant was people in it. Absolutely terrifying, yeah. And, he was uh, the main neo-Nazi, yeah. Oh, Edie Falco's in it, Harold Perrineau's yeah. in it. Yeah. So many good people. So many good people. It's well worth a little mm. a little dive into it because Definitely. it was and it was one of those things where you literally sat on the think and I cannot believe this is being yeah. it was grim, wasn't it? Yeah. Done. This yeah. is being shown. Because yeah. back then yeah, there wasn't a lot of TV like that. There wasn't. Yeah. There really wasn't. Very good shout. Yeah, very, very good shout. Um, I'm going to choose one linked to your show, to the Pay Horse, because we didn't even mention the fact that Rufus Sewell was in it. <gasps> oh, no. Um, what? Is it the same? No, as, well, no, you picked a Rufus Sewell Ca- show Carry as well. on, carry on. This is a slightly... I'm breaking the rules because Terry's very much against us doing one-off feature-length dramas because she thinks they're films. they're films. Even if they're shown on TV. Because <laughs> they're called films. Except this is this was a one-off feature-length drama that was on BBC <laughs> One, directed by John Schlesinger, and I think it was one of the last things he, he ever made with Rufus Sewell, and it was Cold Comfort Farm in 1995. And I think it was shown at Christmas, and it was like their kind of period um, show, and it was absolutely hilarious. Cold Comfort Farm was a spoof novel written, I think, in the 30s, taking the piss out mm-hmm. of, you know, rural kind of class conflict and all of that. And th- this adaptation was absolutely screenplay by Malcolm Bradbury, legend, and it was a hilarious, brilliantly done thing. And Rufus Sewell, I remember... In a, the, tor- in a torn shirt. In a torn shirt. Absolutely gorgeous. sexy. And he was... Uh, everyone is hilariously funny in it. The cast, Eileen Atkins, Kate Beckinsale, Stephen Fry, Freddie Jones, Joanna Lumley, Ian McKellen, Miriam Margulies. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And Rufus in the lead. It was fucking brilliant. And yeah, so if you can find it and watch that. But it was, okay. brackets, possibly a TV film. That sounds like a TV, a feature length yeah, TV right. show I, to me. Can I, can, I, can I table a motion to have Boy Disqualified on a no. technicality? No. Yeah. no. You just worry about your banshee, don't you get yeah. involved Fine. with Boy? Right, well, I have also, I mean, Rufus Saul is just brilliant in all things. So I've latched onto this. Did you ever watch Zen? It, hang on a minute. There was yeah. a, there, there was there was a thing on BBC Four that was, but that that can't have been Rufus because it was an Italian. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah, is yeah. that the Italian detective? It is, oh. but this was the BBC One adaptation of it oh, in 2011, yes. which was shot on location in Italy, but it was English language, and yes. it had I do remember, Rufus yeah. saw as Aurelio Zen. It's based yeah. on the Michael Dibdin uh, Dibdin How novels. How did I miss it? It's got everything. It's yeah. got Italy, probably yep. loads of pasta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Pasta, pasta, Rufus, everything. Yeah. It's, no, it was it's, weird for them to do it as well, yeah. It was it weird. was kind mm. of like Italian production yeah. with the BBC, Absolutely. with Rufus in the ear, yeah, it was weird. Yeah. And it's, so they only had this, so it's three 90-minute episodes, and each one is based on one of the novels. And it's a murder mystery thing, but he's a really interesting character because he kind of, he's a very unusual detective. He's a bit of an anti-hero type. And he kind of weirdly inhabits his name slightly. He's quite laid back, a little bit disengaged, and he has this habit of getting promoted for things he didn't do intentionally. Like, it's a really odd, odd thing um, but, but that's made me want to go and watch yeah, it no, yeah. it's really compelling and he's so much fun in the role I absolutely loved this and uh, but it got cancelled the Beeb cancelled out I guess nobody watched it but what I thought was really funny is BBC One controller Dan, Danny Cohen said and I quote there are enough male crime fighters on TV. That was the statement wow. for why it was cancelled wow. alright thanks yeah. Danny so that was the end of our Relio Zen uh, well it's quite a tricky one this week, but I think in surprising news, uh-huh. 
that I actually really want to watch Zen. Oh so, James, God. you Surely are not. the winner. Yeah, no, I, I'd go with Zen, yeah, because I'd totally forgotten about that show, yeah. I wouldn't watch Zen. Yeah. <gasps> you were on brief for like the first time in years. Yeah. This is amazing. This is the greatest day of my life. Enjoy this, enjoy <laughs> enjoy this, this feeling. Yeah. Enjoy this feeling. It, it is fleeting. Just enjoy as it flies. <laughs> yeah. Before we get on to reviews, we will say goodbye to our lovely guest, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, and I know you have to go now because, obviously, today, the day we're recording, is Friday. Episode 2 of Picard has dropped. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's where I'm going. And you need to go and watch it. I need to go and watch you it need right to go down and watch now. It. Right down now before. Or, or, or I'll kill. I'm going to do it. Make it so. Make it <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's been gagging to say that. Yeah, yeah. Happy little yeah. face. She really has. Happy little face. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've loved you. it. Right, let's get into this week's reviews. Uh, first up this week, we have Lock and Key. Uh, this is based on the Joe Hill comic books of the same name, and it arrived on our screen having spent nearly a decade trying to get there. Uh, they even had a pilot episode in 2011, I want to say, uh, when it was owned, when the property was owned by Fox. But Netflix have now swooped in, they've picked up the baton, and they're bringing us this tale of the Locke family, whose mother and three children move into their ancestral home after the, the kid's father is murdered, only to discover that it is full of mysteries, strange happenings, and an assortment of magic keys. Terry, was this the right fit for you? I've got nothing. Oh, what is it? Was it good? Did you like it? Um, How was it? <laughs> Okay, so I can I can kind of see why it spent so long in development, and it was very troubled. As you say, it was a TV pilot back in 2011. Universal was talking about a film trilogy in mm. 2014. Then Hulu um, uh, commissioned a pilot, and then they passed on the pilot. Netflix finally stepped in, but even since then, there's been a lot of cash changes. Um, and I think this is a really tricky one. I will start by saying that I found it really compelling. Um, I watched the first episode. I really enjoyed it. But its I'm not quite sure where it lands because parts of it felt YA, parts of it felt really adult. It's part horror, part thriller, part family drama, fantasy, haunted house. Mm. And I found it hard to get a handle on. There are scenes that are really graphic. Some really high concept stuff in the last third of the episode that was fucking nuts that I loved, but was very adult and really trippy. But they're kind of, there's this plucky kids narrative and you're really focused on what's going on with them. Um, so you, I, I was struggling with whose story am I following? Is it the mum? Is it the kids? Is it the youngest kid? There's a fucking girl down a well at one point. Like... <laughs> And and there, and when the fantasy element come in, which is when they discover this key and there's these powers and these what kind of like other dimensions, it's kind of jarring because the mix between the human drama, which is their fa- you know their father's been murdered and that's why they've gone to live in his ancestral home, which he's always hated and never wanted them to live in. So there's this spectre over it immediately. It's this massive gothic mansion essentially. So you've got this very human drama, this family drama of this kind of death that's been, that's kind of hanging over the entire house. And then when it slips into this fantasy thing, it's quite jarring. But I really enjoyed the human elements particularly. So I think I'm going to carry on with it, but I wasn't entirely convinced. And I could see from a storytelling perspective why this is tricky. I haven't Mm. read the graphic novel series, so I don't know. But obviously, Joe Hill, who created it, is also working on this. So he he adapted it for the screen. I think he's an exact producer Mm. as well. The 
people love like the comic book's really, really popular. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very much a, a sort of an acclaimed title. I think well, we discussed this earlier on before the podcast, and I think what kind of threw me with this is is that in a world where we've seen the haunting of Hill House, like I kind of had in my head what I hoped it would be, and this isn't scary, scary, and. It, it, for me, it all it, it kind of brought to me echoes of Sabrina, Chilly Adventures of Sabrina, not mm. in the subject matter, but because that's a kind of YA slash teen show that's a lot edgier than you think it had any right to be. And this seems to fall in that same space where it's it's YA, but it's at the upper end of YA, where it's a lot more graphic and more adult than you would expect traditional YA to be. So is it really YA or does it fall in the cracks? Do we need a new, you know, do we need a new category for in between those two things? So, yeah, compelling, really nice ideas, but... I, I, yeah, it didn't. It didn't seize me. It is confusing. It is really mm. because um, I think. Well, you know what? The most. It's it's the kid. It's there's so the yeah. youngest child in this family whose father has been violently murdered, and they're moving to this to the new to the to the to the key house. Um, is about ten. Yeah. yeah, and he's this cute little kid, and I feel like. All the, he's in it quite a lot and actually has some key moments where he's the first one who really kind of realises that this house is haunted or whatever it is, there's portals to other dimensions or whatever the hell it is, is going on in it. And the, the way that he's treated as a character I felt was a little bit patronising anyway. Like they're all kind of being, he's quite, they're all being quite cutesy with him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I felt like, and then, I mean in the second episode, I don't know if you were, there's a sex scene that's quite, full on right uh, and it's like and then a minute later you're back with this little 10 year old kid <laughs> who's made a new friend and it's like <laughs> it's really jarring and and you know what I think is defines these shows and I think why I think why you think of Sabrina because I did as well and it suddenly struck me the music it's got that kind of like almost like comedy style mm, with, I know exactly comedy what you fantasy music yep, 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 which yep. Sabrina has yes and it's a real it's a mood setter choice. It? it's a real mm. mood setter because I think if they'd have gone down the route of having much more atmospheric music it could have been a completely different show yeah, yeah. and that must actually as you say like at the end of the episode one where it gets quite chill, chilling and there's quite weird stuff happening and it's quite off kilter but you've still got the kind of slightly twee music going on I think it's a wrong decision I know why they've done it because I think they want to appeal to it but if you look it's Categorized as mature, and it, mm. it has to be because there's yeah. language. Yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on. And in yeah, that. there's this cute look. It is. It is a bit difficult to, to conquer. And I think it's. I think Netflix just doesn't care about this shit anymore. It's partly like you. You never get <laughs> a show on BBC One which mixes all these things. Mm. Yeah. You just wouldn't be allowed you to need do to it. target your yeah. demographic. But I just. I think Netflix is like fine. You know, we'll have a show with a ten-year-old kid, <laughs> and we'll also have this really like kinky sex scene in episode two. And fuck it, and we'll just have a kind of like mainstream fun music on the top, which will kind of keep everyone but happy. I yeah. think it is weird, but I do enjoy. I, I were going to carry on watching. I, I, I would have liked it to have committed to the adultness more. Yeah, I, I think agree. I'd have been hundred percent on board then. I and I just think they maybe missed a trick. And maybe it is partly. Maybe this is a tone that they've inha- inherited from the comic. I don't know. I can't speak yeah, to that. Uh, but that said, as I said, it's it's a really interesting idea. There's some the the stuff they do with the keys and the keyholes and stuff. There's a lot of visual invention to it. So I, you know, I will keep watching this because I'm fascinated to see where it goes. Um, but it just is not what I expect. Also, the dead daddy's really hot. <laughs> yes, hot dead dad. That's why you should watch it. So, if you like hot dead dads, then I highly recommend you watch Lock and Key, which drops on Netflix on Friday, the seventh of February. Next up this week is Inside Number Nine. This is the fifth series of Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton's Blackley comic anthology series. Uh, this run kicks off quite literally, with a football-themed episode about refs in the locker room. So, who better to talk about it than our resident gooner? 
Boyd Hilton. Boyd, penalty or free kick? Uh, with the understanding, I have no idea what either of those things actually yeah. are. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Um, both. Uh, it's interesting because Reese Shearsmith, who is one half of the creative duo behind every single episode of Inside Number Nine, um, isn't a football fan either and doesn't know anything about football. So, how this episode happened um, from a chat I did with um, Steve Pemberton for, for uh, our magazine is that. What it was actually in a period where Reese was busy, I think, in a, doing a show, doing a play, and he thought, and he'd always, Steve has always wanted to do a thing set in a ref's locker room in a, sorry, in a football match. And he thought, well, I'm going to start writing this while he's away, and I'll do all the so all the kind of quite interesting football references that are in there. If you are interested in football, are there, but equally, I think it is. Hopefully, I'll find out from you two in a minute. Um, accessible if you're not interested in football, and you know, I did because it is all about this really interesting twisty turny story and of course Reese did come back and co-write it with him but it, it, it's all about Inside Number 9 I'm a huge fan of the show I think it's one of the best things to have happened to TV the last five or six years it's you don't know what's going to happen from week to week every single episode is going to be different obviously that's the whole point of it but it also they're daring they're bold they 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 take you they pull the rug from under you all the time this episode pulls the rug from under you three or four times within mm. half an hour which is an incredible trick to pull off and yeah it's also really funny and it takes and I think the reason Steve was attracted to it because it's got this structure within it where you meet the characters the referee and his team and a footballer a footballer captain who's involved in this crucial game that's happening before the game starts then at half time and then at the end and it, it, it was that structure of before the game half time at the end that kind of would attracted to him to the whole idea and I just think it uses that really cleverly really smartly I and mean, we mustn't spoil anything but there are such brilliant surprises and I love the way they hatch them and they really work and to have David Morrissey as the main as the main role is brilliant he's fantastic he just absolutely exudes authority because he is a referee in it um, Ralph Little's in it and the two guys are in it and I just thought without giving anything away Everything it explored within the world of football, quite interesting ideas and themes and issues, but it's also really funny and clever and smart and totally surprising. And I couldn't see the ending coming, and I loved it. Terry, <laughs> so I really love this, and it's so different to the opener of the of season four. Like it, as an opening episode, it couldn't be more different. I loved it. I love that it's a true anthology series. Everything is so different and so perfectly formed as a single episode. What I love about Inside Number Nine, and this really pulls it off, because this could have been a play, really, when you mm. think about the way it was staged, and as you say, the way they structured it. And it really, you know, we talk a lot about spectacle on this podcast. We talk a lot about um, kind of big narrative arcs and production values. This is something which really puts performances and writing. There's something beautifully old school almost about it because it's about craft. It's about the rhythms and the repetition of the writing. Every single word is placed perfectly. As Boyd alludes to, there is a there are a couple of themes which come up which we can't talk about because they'd be spoilers. One of them, I'm not sure how well handled that was, and there were a couple of moments where I wasn't quite sure about the way it was. Um, and it, it, and it, maybe it's a tone thing. I don't know because, as you say, there are moments which are it flips to being funny and actually being super poignant, like on a dime. But there was one big thematic thing that I, I wasn't 100% convinced on. But the performances are incredible. You know, just the way these men were crafted, their insecurities, their foibles. Um, it's a beautiful episode of television. And it has the greatest, by the way, because obviously every episode of Inside Number Nine is Inside Number Nine, yeah. literally. And it has the greatest Inside Number Nine explanation in history. Yes, it does, yes. 
I, uh, I mean, this is about football, so we weren't off to a great start, really, with me. <laughs> but it was, but it isn't but about hang football. On, hang on, hang on. <laughs> and so immediately it started, I was kind of like, oh, God, I've got to sit through half an hour of this. And yet... I really enjoyed it. Uh, partly because David Morrissey's amazing and I could watch mm. him in anything. Isn't also, he? weirdly, David Morrissey once tried to explain to me why football is great. And we, we did it on the Empire podcast. <laughs> right. And he, he taught through the whole, the love of the game to me, which actually was quite compelling. But um, but this, yeah, it's a, it's a stage play, isn't it? It's like yeah. watching a beautifully composed stage play. It's really compelling. There's twists, there's turns. The characters are layered and believable and you know there's lots and lots of secrets being unearthed and also it's a side of football that I mean I know nothing about any side of football but this is a side of football I genuinely don't know anything about like what do refs talk about you know <laughs> I've no idea do they well, that's a good point though no because yeah. no one does no yeah. exactly Even so football it felt to that. me like this is this does feel fresh and new and it's like a new perspective on something so I mean look we're, we're reviewing a single episode this is kind of a serious review I mean I guess this is one of those things if you think these guys are good which they clearly are and if you enjoy the anthology format then this is something for you what I find interesting about this I've never ever seen an episode of Inside Number 9 before ever wow. uh, I was only vaguely aware of what it was but what kind of threw me with this is this is not a comedy this particular episode this is not comedy it has it has well, well, very well. gently amusing moments but I didn't it's think this more was comedy com- at you all know what? it's more comedy than a lot of episodes of Inside yeah. Number 9 so it's I mean it is it, people do often say this about the show you know is, is it a comedy isn't it I mean it's made by the comedy department they are half they, the, thing, the brilliant thing about it is they absolutely don't care anymore they just are I think they you know they have a comedic edge and I think this does you know there's a long mm. there's a, we can't you know no spoiler there's a there's a joke about um uh, uh, smelling up the toilet, you know, that's not mm-hmm. like yeah. they're not they're not above, you know, knob gags, it also and poo con- gags. It contains the line linesman Minelli, which is one of my right. favorite things. So I there, are, yeah, there are brilliant <laughs> jokes in it. So I think you know, it's just a comedy. They just don't. They're just absolutely confident in their storytelling and in this context of this show of going wherever the hell they want to go, and they're not worrying about is it comedy, isn't it comedy, whatever. I mean, I've seen the last episode of this. They show they showed they had a screening at the BFI. And they showed yeah. this and the last episode, which it could not be more different, and that you might feel like it's even less of a comedy than this one. <laughs> Just okay. <laughs> well, that is Inside Number 9, and this appears or starts on BBC Two uh, on Monday, February the 3rd at 10pm. Next up this week is Home. This is Series 2 of Rufus Jones's brilliantly funny comedy about a Syrian asylum seeker called Sammy who ends up living with a British family in Dorking and forms an unlikely bond with Jones's raving Brexiteer, Peter. Uh, we loved this, didn't we, when it uh, when it debuted when uh, Series 1 came out last year uh, but the question is Terry does it take back control in Series 2? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I watched this the night before Brexit Day today is Brexit Day the day as we recording. record yes we are Friday. all Europeans for another few hours um, uh, and it was quite sobering actually I actually think based on t- only two episodes which is what I've seen yeah. I think this is better than season one. I'll tell you why, because it's actually, there was a there was a kind of a gentleness to season one and it kind of built as it went along. But there is, the it's so much kind of, not, I don't think the word is more aggressive, but there, it is much more pointed mm. in its comedy. And I actually really love that. Episode two, episode one is kind of, you know, establishing where we are. But I tell you, see, episode two is 
just a fantastic piece of television. We can't talk about what goes on in it because explaining any of the setups would ruin it. But let's just say there are two spectacular incidences <laughs> of two men losing their shit in very different ways. One at a marmalade festival, one in an office with a yucca plant. And they are just the two most, two of the most singular brilliant things I've seen. And one of them in an episode would be enough for you to be like, this is a fucking brilliant episode of telly. Mm. To have them both in this episode is just, I mean, I laughed and laughed and laughed. And then, and you know, we were talking about tonal shifts earlier. Fuck me. Nobody does tonal shifts like Rufus Jones in this because the you are one minute laughing hysterically and the next minute... It's so sad and touching and poignant and so moving. And there are just certain lines um, that, I mean, Yusuf Kakor is just incredible. And his delivery and his physicality, like everything about him, I just think makes him perfect. And I have to say the writing... We talked about this last time, but Christ almighty, it's brilliant. There's a whole scene with Katie in a school... Um, that again we can't spoil but there's there's a bit of she's a monologue she does which is just the most perfect piece of writing mm. and it's just brilliant so I can't wait to see the rest of the episodes to be honest um, it does feel weirdly prescient and, and weirdly relevant and quite and it gives it a kind of a, a different edge when we're watching it right now um, but I think that you've massively upped the bar, I have to say, on season two. I, I agree with you entirely. The thing that really stood out for me, and we obviously watch a lot of telly in this, like the writing in this is so yeah. fucking tight to the point where I, and I tend to do with these things, I often write down lines I like. It got to where I had to stop. There were so many yeah. like, amazing quotable lines. I thought, I can't keep, I'll have transcribed the entire, you know, teleplay. Um, really, really tight writing. It goes to really bold places, especially in the second mm. episode. Uh, and I just say, it's really funny. It's really touching. There's a Thanos gag in there, oh for Christ's God. sake. Oh, my God. You know. There's an Asylum Man, Iron Man gag, I which mean, just, Christ, within the first 10 so minutes. It's, in, it's, it's gratifyingly sweary. He had a Marvel DC gag in the very first episode, if you remember. Oh, oh yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I just, I, it's, so, it's so well observed. It's so contemporary and it's just really really funny and I don't find anything funny and this thing absolutely <laughs> destroys me but massive props I would say Yusuf Kirkor who is in let's be honest fucking everything at the yeah. moment he is in this he's in Dracula he was in Criminal he, the next show we review he's in that as well wearing what I think is the same cardigan but he's <laughs> he's so good because he's incredibly funny but he and he's a giant man but mm. he's so so like soulful as well mm. absolutely love him I think he's, he's fantastic yeah this 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 made my week actually yeah, it's an inc- the incredible. I, I mean, we I think we all loved series one, but it, it does feel like a, a, a step up. It does yeah. feel like um, I think I think it just feels like Rufus knows his characters so well now yeah. that it has that thing that a lot of great the best sitcoms have where they suddenly just take off and you're like you know them so well and the viewers know them so well and the cast knows them so well. These I'm sure he's writing for them. You know that he knows the strengths of all of all of these. Um, brilliant actors, and I agree. It's just, it just it, the writing is so brilliant mm. that, that, that and the, and the jokes 
land brilliantly. But I was cry. I was absolutely yeah. crying in that first episode. Even more, just like three or four moments where I was welling up because there's it's so poignant about he doesn't know. Yeah. You know, the first episode is all about he just he's been waiting months and months and months. It picks up a quite you know a period after the the second the first series ended, and he's being left in this limbo. And you're like, it's really painful, mm. and it's mining fantastic comedy and poignant drama from his situation. I think the kid is brilliant. Oakley Pendergast is fantastic. So they've got this brilliantly natural um, boy who's like, I think his relationship with um, Sammy is beautiful. It's so touching and sweet. And I love the fact that Rufus gives himself mm. the kind of doofus character. Walking Daily Mail yeah, editorial. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it is also a Brexit. It's yes. a real Brexit comedy. Mm. It might be even the Brexit um, sitcom. A very pointy in episode two, there is a Brexit yeah. scene. Yeah. Right. Which you've got to think, I mean, the, the balls it took to write yeah. that scene for yeah. himself as well. He's so co- I love him. how confident he is. This is the first thing he's written. You know, mm. there's been loads of brilliant stuff, you know, he ha- um, but, you know, I know he's tried to write stuff, but this is, and it's incredible. It's, it's only series two and it mm. feels like the most confident, fant- as you say, just mixing the tones brilliantly and I, it is really, really great. You know, I think it's already up there with like, it's become a proper, like, this is going to be one of the best things. Oh yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, that is home at series two and this lands on Channel 4 on Wednesday, February the 5th at 10 p.m. Uh, next this week in the never ending list of reviews we have Channel 4's Baghdad Central uh, this is set in 2003 during the occupation of Iraq and it is a Baghdad set mystery in which retired police detective Musin Al-Khafaji must investigate the disappearance of his estranged daughter now this is something made significantly more complex by the presence of American forces and little things like being pulled off the street and waterboarded for no good reason so Boyd what did you think of this? I think it's a really interesting um, idea for a, a show to have, to essentially have a kind of mystery, a, you know, a kind of traditional crime drama, a man searching for his missing daughter in the context mm. of post-war Iraq, in this bewildering, crazy world. That And, and it, it's deliberately setting up that, you know, you don't know who is allied to who. So, you know, the American kind of forces effectively in charge, but they're still trying to find out if um, they're paranoid. Basically, they think, you know, these people are still might be terrorists that want to carry on the war, even though ostensibly they've won the war. There are people who are trying to survive different factions within the Iraqi community. It is, it, it's one of those shows that you're told in press releases, you know, and when you're, when you're kind of, do cover for this show, it's told from the point of view of the Iraqis, and I always think when I when I read that, oh, is it really? Because you have got famous, you know, Bertie Carvel's in it, um, Corey Stoll's, Corey Stoll's in it. it. You've got big star names, white guys who are in it, Western actors. But actually, to be fair to it, it really is told from the point of view Very of the Iraqi so. characters, and I thought that that was really interesting, and effective. There's a scene uh, involving a horse um, <laughs> in episode one that is really shocking and powerful and bold, and I really like that. I thought after that it trailed off a little, trailed off a little bit. In episode, I was like, "Oh, that is really bold and powerful." And it, is it going to be? Is it going to stick to that? I felt like it was. It became after that a little bit straightforward. The storytelling in a way for me, and like I didn't. And then, but then right at the end, there's a big bold shock of an ending that then won me back. So I think I will carry on seeing it, carry on watching it, carry on seeing it, carry on watching it. And I, I think it's brilliantly made and I'm completely convincing. So to set up this whole world, you know, to, to, you know, to actually make it feel completely realistic, which it does, I think is a real achievement. I think it's just about compelling and gripping enough for me to carry on. But I, I think, like, I don't think it's ultra compelling and gripping like some shows, some some dramas I've seen recently. Um, I agree with Boyd. I think, you know, the it's... 
showing the perspective of the Iraqis rather than just the British or the Americans um, actually feels really novel and really fresh. And the female actresses, female actors, actresses, whatever, the (laughs) female actors in this have spoken about the importance for them personally of actually playing fully rounded characters that aren't just stereotype and what struggle it is for any actor of a Middle Eastern descent to find proper textured roles. And these are, these are young women with their own concerns, with their own lives. One of them is very ambitious. Um, And it definitely feels like a perspective and a reality that you haven't really seen iterated on screen anymore. Anymore? You haven't seen iterated on screen before. Um, And it is kind of, it's like part mystery, part, and it is, I... I found it really interesting and I think what it's doing is really admirable. It kept losing me in parts, as you say, it kind of kept tailing off and then coming back and it was it's 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 quite hard for its fight for your attention, I think, and I'm not sure it held your attention throughout the entire thing. Um, but I think it's you, you look at the kind of quality of the performances on screen, the commitment to actually making you feel like you're on the streets of, of Baghdad. Mm. It's incredibly immersive and yeah. you get the sense of it being a real sense of the reality of being an Iraqi on the streets of Bag- Baghdad in 2003. Um, so, but as to the kind of dramatic propulsion of it, I'm I'm not entirely convinced yet. I don't disagree, I, but I, I enjoyed this possibly more than, than you guys did. I just, I, I got really drawn into the point of view and I think... You know, we're so used to having the kind of prescribed narrative of conflicts told to us. Like, you know, Second World War, Nazis bad, allies good. You know, this is all fine. and it's good. But this, this proceeds into later wars. Like, most Vietnam films have shown, uh, you know, oh, the Vietnamese are the bad guys, America is there, you know, do, whereas, hmm, are they though? Mm. And this is an interesting one as well. You rarely see this look at the Iraqi conflict where it's an occupation. It's a mm. hostile occupation of their country. And as has often come out since then, the American troops did not always shower themselves in glory. And you see that firsthand from the point of view of an Iraqi who is not a militant, who is not like a terrorist or an insurgent. He's an ex-police officer just trying to get on with his life, gets dragged off the streets, tortured, waterboarded by Americans because they think he's someone else. You know, it's also, and you you get that real feel of what it must have been like for them. And I just found that perspective really fresh, mm. and I really enjoyed him as a character, and the fact that this mystery kind of is tangled up in the politics of the occupation as well. So yeah, I I, I know what you mean. It's not certainly towards the latter half of the first episode, the storytelling isn't always doesn't draw you in in the way that I think it could have done. But actually, I think this has a lot to offer. I'm I'm fascinated to keep watching this just because I want to see where it goes. I want to see more of this take on that you know, that time. So, yeah, Baghdad Central. Uh, And that's Channel 4 as well. And that's Monday, February the 3rd at 10pm. Before we finish with reviews, we should probably mention now that Sarah's gone, uh, that The Pale Horse Mm. does indeed drop this week on BBC One on on Sunday, February the 9th at 9pm. It should come as absolutely no surprise to hear that we think this is brilliant as we gave it a full five stars in the most recent issue of Pilot. But what did you guys think? Oh, I mean, it's... Fantastic. Yeah. But as you were saying earlier, James, it actually feels really quite different yeah. to the other adaptations. And I really love the like weird, spooky, kind of fucked up, pagany, terrifying. Like it's just a completely 
it feels like a continuation, but a completely different take on Britishness and what makes us weird and what and all the stuff Sarah was talking about, about our kind of brutality that hides behind the civility. Mm. Um, it looks absolutely astonishing mm. as well. No, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, completely. It's it's great. Also, I think Rufus Sewell is genius casting in this because yeah. that character has to have an edge to him. And he's an actor. People often, you know, he plays a lot of villainous roles. You know, he has a real steeliness to him. And I think he really, really nails that particular performance. And there are genuinely points on this that gave me proper chills from head to toe. Like, it's really creepy. One particular bit involving a bush. Mm. Uh, and I was like, ooh. You know, the old bush scene. The old bush Bush scene scene. gave me chills. (laughs) But seriously, and I think it's nice because, like Agatha Christie, obviously known for murder mysteries, but this this is something very, very Mm. different. Mm. And I think it's refreshing, and it's a really, really good choice. It's a brilliant adaptation. Caius Scodelario, who I love, Case Goddard's from from out of skins and everything. She has a scene where she stuffs the volivant, which I thought she did so brilliantly. Um, That's not uh, a euphemism, no. Um, But she's brilliant. She's this furious, angry you know, wife of this fucking oh. idiot. And she is great. There's one scene in particular, right, where yeah. she with like... With a cushion. Yeah, with a cushion. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck did that cushion ever do to you? Right. It's so good. So the restrained fury underneath yeah. yes. that kind of domestic... Yes. That domestic stillness is exactly. just beautiful. Yeah, brilliant. So, yeah, I, I, it is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Very good. Uh, so that is on February 9th at 9pm. Uh, also out, we should mention this week, The L Word Generation Q drops on Sky Atlantic and Now TV on Tuesday, February 4th at 10pm. Boyd, have you seen this? I haven't seen it yet, no. Um, but um, The return of The L Word in its yeah, new I'm excited incarnation. To watch it, yeah. The L Word, The Next Generation. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. L Word Voyager. Indeed. A Sky... <laughs> <laughs> Sky Comedy gets The Righteous Gemstones on February the 5th at 9pm. I have seen this. Um, if you like... What was the... East- uh, Eastbound and Down, what was it called? Eastbound, East, what, yeah. Danny McBride. Danny McBride. Mm. If you like, it is very Danny McBride, is all I'd say. And I feel sometimes with Danny McBride stuff, I like. I want to go, oh, it's a bit, a little bit exhausting. But it is funny. But it's, yeah, it's very much Danny McBride fans will lap it up. Uh, also, Apple TV Plus gets its latest show, Mythic Quest, which is a comedy based on kind of uh, like uh, MMO role-playing games and could not be more me if it tried. And in any other week, we would have reviewed it because I'd have made sure we did. MMO role... Yeah, like World MMO? of Warcraft and stuff like that. What like, is, is MMO? It, uh, massively multiplayer online role-playing games. MMORPG, it's short for. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean. it's, yeah, it's very me. Like, it feels very much like in the same... Well, I mean, like, I haven't seen an episode of it, but I, we would absolutely have done this otherwise. I'd have been amused to see it's how... The, what you thought of it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia team. Indeed. Which yeah. is another show that we possibly don't. So I think it's, I, think, I mean, I haven't seen it, but I think it's worth, yeah. you know, yeah. it's definitely worth a shout. On the name alone, I'd say shite. <laughs> <laughs> Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet is his full oh name. Oh my God. <laughs> I think it's actually been made in association with uh, a, a, a company as well that's involved in that kind of shenanigans. That could be true. Shenanigans. shenanigans. That was a proper get off my lord moment, yeah. Lloyd. <laughs> Yeah. MMO, <laughs> Christ <laughs> almighty. Right. Uh, what's what's our pick of the week? Go on. Well, well. it's the Pale Horse and... I think Pale Horse and Home, home are... Yeah. Both of them are... Tied, fantastic tied pieces for first of, place. Pa- fantastic yeah, pieces of telly. It's a pretty good week, all things it's considered. There's week, nothing yeah. bad. So, no. But those are definitely the standouts, I would say. Excellent. And that is finally it <laughs> before Terry gives birth <laughs> for this, uh, Terry who may well be in labour uh, this is 
And that is it for this very special murder mystery themed episode of the Pilot TV podcast. Uh, we very much hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then please give us a review that accurately sums up your adoration. Also, why not give us a charity follow on Twitter and or Instagram at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, at Terry underscore White and at Phelpsy Sarah. We will be back next week for what might very well be Terry's last podcast until she heads off to have her baby. Terry, how are you feeling about this? Well, as I'm currently hopefully experiencing Braxton Hicks and have been throughout this, this entire is podcast record. This is an actual thing that's been happening. Terry been... has been having contractions <laughs> while we've been doing the podcast. I'm pretty sure it's false labour. I just was Googling it. Um, <laughs> um, so um, uh, I'm feeling quite tense. <laughs> I, 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 as we were saying I would have been thrilled if you'd actually given birth during the Banshee segment I thought Braxton been... Hicks was a cast member of uh, <laughs> Lock and Key <laughs> I don't think it's too far away no, okay. oh god if my son grows up to look like him yeah. Yeah. would he be binging back seasons of The Expanse during mat- your maternity leave I will not be binging I will send you a box set that'll be my uh, my gift to you I'll have it couriered over if you could send me a nice box set that would be good actually why is this this fucking giving me box set things <laughs> I have the internet I also have a telly that is connected to services yeah I've given you 20 odd box sets in the past not one of them has ever been taken home so no I took one of them home and oh then I, you uh, I, the, the, oh, the fall yeah. no it was the fall and the downton fall, the fall yeah. and no. downton yeah okay and then watch them on um, and then watch them on Netflix, <laughs> on Netflix <laughs> and Amazon so amazing all right. Well, I'm sure we'll get into all of this in greater detail next week, assuming Terry has not given birth. Uh, until then, however, pilot out. <laughs>